Welcome everyone to the Atomic Cinema Experiment. I am Peter, and joining me, as always, is Tara. Greetings, citizens. It's a science fiction movie podcast, of course. We talk about science fiction films, and we're here today to talk about Interstellar, which was the vote winner over in patreon.com slash TV every month. The $5 and up patrons get to vote between four films, and Interstellar won the vote for the month. So that is what we're going to talk about. It is almost impressive that we've gotten to 150 plus episodes and haven't done this just because it's one of the bigger sci-fi movies that came out in the past decade it's, you know, it's christopher nolan sci-fi we gotta, movie we gotta save something well, that's true you gotta spread out the big ones uh you can't do all the christopher nolan movies in the first week uh as tempting I mean, as it would be for you <laughs> so we'll start spoiler free as we always do we'll give you a warning before we go into the spoilers and the basic gist of this film and this is actually one where because I, I, I vividly remember this coming out. I was excited for it when it came out. So I vividly remember how much I didn't know going in. It was kept quite secretive before it came out. You know, other than the broad strokes of clearly Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway are going to go into space uh, in search of other planets. But it was quite secretive aside from that. There's a lot of elements in this that when I saw it, I compared to other films that I didn't know about going into. I didn't know I was going to be comparing it as much to something like a 2001 a space odyssey in some ways or some other things so uh yeah basically earth is a shithole there's dirt storms constantly the food's not growing like corn's the last thing that's growing properly and even that's days are numbered so it's all about finding a new home a planet that we can move to or colonize and continue the human race in some form so the stakes are high obviously it plays with some very science fiction concepts the idea of the time difference when you're near a black hole is played with of course uh, we'll get into that uh, some of the movie's most famous scenes come from that stuff uh Hans Zimmer's scoring this as he did for a lot of Christopher Nolan's films in this time period and uh, we'll talk about that I'm sure as well so a lot to get into a lot to talk about and I'm very curious to see how Tara's going to start this because I've not I've not gotten the impression that Tara was overly fond of Interstellar from past interactions. So it is with bated breath that I await the answer to the question. Tara, what did you think of Interstellar? I like Interstellar. I had it on my list when we did our like top 50 of the decade. Did you? Okay. <laughs> I, well, it's been a little while. I, I guess... Maybe dislike or whatever was a strong word. I, well, I, I can understand why you would think I was going in that direction because I don't think that Christopher Nolan is God's gift to movies. <laughs> and I don't like Anne Hathaway and he keeps using her for some reason. I also think what Matthew McConaughey... Keeps She's only in two of his movies. Yeah, that's enough. <laughs> no more. This was the last time. He's not done it since 2014. Well, he must have got my letters then. <laughs> It's been eight years. Get over it. <laughs> I also think Matthew McConaughey is kind of like, uh, I don't know, like he's hit or miss with me. Like, I don't think he's bad in this movie, but there are points where I'm just like, I wish they cast someone else just because it's hard to separate the man from the actor, you know, but it is a good movie. I'm not thrilled with the message of the movie or even like the plot of the movie, but <laughs> visually it's pretty spectacular. <laughs> I was wondering what was left. <laughs> to be honest, I don't like the lead actor, the female lead actor. I don't like the plot. I don't like the message. Oh, but it looks quite nice. This is a nice the visual. visuals are pretty spectacular. 
uh, exceptional even. You can tell there's a lot of practical effects to make something look very real and just to make, you know, something that you've never seen before come alive. And even like when we talked about it during our top 50 sci-fi movies for the decade, you know, I brought this one up because the ideas that, uh, you know, they came up with in order to create these other worlds are very unique and unusual and very fun to watch. The whole journey and stuff that they go through also is very, um, very, very well done. And the robots are amazing. They're the best part of the film. I think that's, I think that's a good start. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, what's funny is because I was super excited about this movie. I was super excited because this was coming after Dark Knight Rises, which I am mm -hmm. in the camp of really liking Dark Knight Rises. I know that the internet does not necessarily agree with that statement. But I really like that movie, and I love Dark Knight. I loved Inception. Inception is maybe his best movie. I, you know, Tara can make a face if she, she wants, but uh, eh. <laughs> but so I, you know, it was it was kind of like oh, Christopher Nolan's doing science fiction again, but this time it's a uh, space science fiction. He's going to space. We're getting a Christopher Nolan space movie, and I was like, oh, I'm yeah. interested. I'm intrigued. Tell me more. I thought I remember the first teaser trailer being super effective because it's, it's it's driving like through the cornfield and stuff. I don't even know if that was. Zoomer. I don't even think that was in that. It was that music, but I don't even I don't even know if the cornfield stuff was in that first trailer. I think the first trailer was almost nothing but stock footage of like rocket launches and stuff. But mm -hmm. it was that music, and it was. Um, I want to say it did have McConaughey giving his uh, his speech over it, maybe. But it, it was just, like, it was a very what quick one minute, just, like, the adventure, the, the unknown of getting into space and the, the wonder and the, the ex explorer kind of mentality of that feeling and the idea that we've kind of, like, left that behind, but we have to sort of re recapture it again. We have to do it again. That feeling from that teaser trailer, I remember feeling very effective and the music was very good. And I remember being surprised when that turned out to actually be Hans Zimmer's music because... More often than not, the composer's not done any work in a movie yet. With a year in advance, when the teaser trailer's going out, usually they don't start working on the movie till much later. So the fact that that was actually an original piece of the score that is going to be in the film and a heavy part of the score as well, just shows how early on Nolan got Zimmer involved, and he probably did that before he'd even seen any of the footage of the movie yet. So the teaser was great, the trailers were great, the market was good, it has a lot of good posters, there was a lot of like, oh, I like how everything looks, I was really excited to go see it. And I liked the movie when it came out, I I, I went into it and really felt the spectacle and the razzle-dazzle, the visuals are amazing. I, did, I do remember coming out of it though and thinking that some of the concepts were very high high concept, it was, it was a lot more... I think because Christopher Nolan up until that point, all of his science fiction was based very much in things feeling realistic even if they weren't but they, they would always be presented in a way where it was like we're going to explain the technology we're going to explain this this and this and there's some big elements of interstellar which are very fantastical and it's very un christopher nolan i would say in a lot of ways and i remember not being sure how to feel about that so there was kind of like a little part of it that i was like i'm not sure if i'm in love with everything in the movie but i i like the, the journey of doing everything and i still thought very highly of it even if it was maybe ranking a little lower on my Nolan scale at the time. Uh, what's interesting is I hadn't actually seen it again uh, until... Is this your first time watching it again? This is my second viewing of Interstellar, yeah. This is the wow. first time I've watched it again. So I hadn't seen it again since the uh, the, the movie theater, and I 
and I was like, oh, I'm curious to see how I'm going to feel about this now. And I'm curious to see how I'm going to feel about certain things. And as it improves, because I know kind of the ballsier places that it's going when I start mm-hmm. versus the first time where it was a genuine mystery where I, like, I didn't really know the plot beyond just they're going to leave Earth because they really kept it under wraps. Right. And I, I would say that I liked it more this time. I actually think, I think the film's better for for having a like a, a and that's not to say that i would take away like that unknown factor i had that first time i think that did give that viewing a special quality but i think long term i like the movie more knowing the type of ideas that it's going to be pursuing and the direction it's heading in because they are very fantastical and i think on a first time viewing if you're expecting the grounded like gritty cerebral sci-fi you're not getting that you're getting more of a philosophical science fiction film with interstellar you know what kind of reminds me of with the, uh, I mean, not the visually, but the um, the concept is kind of like the 70s films that we watched where they're just these post-apocalyptic because we've run out of food. There's not enough oh, food. Sure, We're yeah. overpopulated. We've ruined the planet. And uh, it, how do we survive? <laughs> it kind of starts off that way. But then, of course, this is a modern film with a huge budget. So then it becomes a spectacular oh, yeah, 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 yeah. space movie <laughs> as opposed to, oh, we've got <laughs> yeah. a warehouse in the desert. <laughs> kind of thing <laughs> right <laughs> yeah it doesn't go full 70s but yeah <laughs> yeah but that's, i can definitely see the the the, the comparison I mean, there. I'm just thinking like no blade of grass or ultimate warrior like, like there's so many movies from that time where it's just like uh it, i don't know if it was so much about like global warming but it, it was about you know running out of food overpopulation cpg stuff like that it's just a concept that i is very familiar but obviously done in this modern new way with a director who has vision and style and more so than those movies in the 70s although i love them you know they they can kind of blend together sometimes yeah you you definitely feel like you sort them by the decade rather than the director when they fall in that grouping yeah it's like director and loose subgenre they kind of all sort (laughs) of just bundled together yeah (laughs) yeah because that's obviously like the idea is we're going to leave the planet whereas Unless you wanted a goofy spaceship set in those days, you, mm-hmm. it probably wasn't going to be very good. That, right, that you're yeah. doing that concept, and I know we're saying seventies, and that's after two thousand one, and we're you know I I directly compared this to two thousand one in a way before, sure, yeah. and that is a spectacular looking film, but that was like a one of a kind auteur is doing two thousand one in that time period. Like that's not just yes. every other movie can do also, that. Also, it's a lot of you know practical effects that really you know paid off a lot of time and. Uh, you know, great set pieces. And this movie has that too. A lot of very practical effects. That yeah, obviously good. there's some CG because there has to be there the type be, of yeah. things, you know, there's a, the, the planet with the water, for example, like there has to be CG with that. There's, there's no practical way of doing that. But Nolan is very particular about do, using as little CG as possible. If he can do it without CG, he's going to make sure they do it. So there's models, right. there's, there's practical effects, there's all sorts of those miniatures there's all sorts of things well i mean even the even the robots in this are not very i mean special effects heavy they're, they're mostly just you know blocks and who would have thought that a block could look so good and be so practical in a movie but it, for like a futuristic science fiction film hey excuse it does me look good. i think you'll find demon seed said just yeah, a weird metallic I shape thinking, <laughs> i was thinking demon seed actually since you know this is the first time watching it since we watched that film we're like oh there's a little bit of demon seed in this just a, just a smidge. Just a smidge. Just a smidge. Yeah. I always appreciate a smidge of Demon Seed. I, I think it's a really great movie. It's not perfect. I, I, I do think, like, the movie opens with these weird, like, interview segments that, even though there's, like, context for them by, by the time you get to the very end, 
mm-hmm. I do think like because they come up a couple of times right near the start, right at the start, and then they come up again. They'll be like five, ten minutes in, and then they never come up again until the very, very, very end. And you get like a context for you know where they come from. And... I forgot about those actually, but I do like them in the movie because it, it makes it feel like okay, he's trying to tell us that in the future we will look back at this time and like talk about it like it was something we got through as a species. But it sort of goes against the message of the film, which is like, let's get the hell off this planet. We can't save it anymore. Well, it's all old people, so it feels very similar to uh, people talk about World War Two. Like, you know, maybe not so much now. Because... Or like uh, the Great Depression or the Dust Bowl. I guess it's more the Dust Bowl. I talking about that. Yeah, not so much now, but like, you know, I think when we were in school in the 90s, like a lot, a lot of old people were, I mean, I'm not saying no one's alive from that period now, but there was a lot more old people alive in the 90s that went through World War Two. So there was, a, I remember a lot of talking heads and documentaries watching in school that were people in their 70s and 80s or whatever, talking about their experience surviving the blitz and things like, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that really felt like to me because I, I think th- there's like one old woman here is talking about oh we used to have to wear these masks and obviously we're doing it for a different reason but I mean yeah we would all relate to that now <laughs> but it reminded me a lot I just I have this, I, like I had this deja vu specific memory of an old woman who probably looked very similar to this old woman talking about how they used to eat a lot of spam in in the UK in World War Two for some whatever reason spam was one of the main things that were being distributed as rations. I don't know if the movie needs it, though. I don't know if the movie's improved by having these segments at the start. I think maybe you're right. If it was something that really followed through a bit more, that it would feel more cohesive. And otherwise, because you do kind of forget about it. This is something I forgot yeah. was in the movie. And even while I was watching the movie, I forgot that it was there until they sort of come back at the end a little bit, but not, not like really, not in a big way. Because you go so long without them. And I think... Because when it starts up, I went, oh, he's doing a District 9. Because the first sci-fi movie I think of that has this sort of, like, fake interview... Well, not fake, but, like, in-universe documentary mm-hmm. interview segments is District 9. and that, But that keeps it up the whole way through. It presents itself like a documentary for the vast majority of the film. It has that kind of structure and that kind yeah. of vibe. Uh, Plus you follow, like, a news reporter, so it, yeah. it kind of... Yeah, it fits in with the theme of the film. Wh- whereas the this, like, you have a little bit of the start, and then it goes away, and then... You know, the movie just plays out normal. And obviously there's some exposition in those opening interview segments, but I don't think you need it. Like, because I was actively thinking, like, knowing that they were going to disappear, because I remembered, I'd forgotten they were there, but then when they popped up, I remembered they disappear after the first couple of minutes. I thought, oh, I'm going to pay attention to all these scenes at the start and see, do you need those interviews to explain the world? And you don't. Like, you, you get enough from the way McConaughey talks to his kids or John Lithgow, who's like the, the father-in-law, or the way he talks to the teachers. Like, all of the essential information that we need to understand where the world is mm-hmm. is in all those conversations. And and not in, like, a super exposition-y, awkward way. Like, it's all very naturally in there because of what the, the issues that are brought up and how they're dealing with the kids and, and so on and so on. So I, I, I don't necessarily think they need to be there, so I probably would take those out. And it's not that I necessarily don't like the idea of having that that old-timey documentary feel that it kind of starts off with, but if it wasn't going to commit to it as, like, a, a core aspect of the movie, I think I would take it out. Because if anything, it just spoils that on some level they succeed <laughs> because there's people to talk about it. Yeah, I wish... Um, honestly, I do like them. I, I wish there was just more of them in there. Like, I, I wish there was... Yeah, I, I wish there was uh, more of a point to them being there other than setting up the film, which we also get 
anyway when mm. like you were saying when we see the characters interact with the world and with other characters in the film I mean, that's, that's probably the, the easiest thing I can look at and say that's a, a problem I have. Like, it's something that I would just completely cut out. There's definitely a couple of, like, monologues or lines of dialogue that I would tweak. There's definitely a couple of moments like that. But I don't think yeah. conceptually or from a message point of view... I mean, I don't know if the message that you don't like is necessarily the message that I took from the film, though. So I don't want to say I disagree with you because it might be slightly <laughs> something different. What do you think of McConaughey? <laughs> I'm curious. Well, what's funny about McConaughey is that before this movie, he was the rom-com guy. I had never seen yeah. him in anything, I don't think. I never, well, Frailty and stuff. I'd never seen Frailty at that point. Oh, okay, okay. I, I didn't see Frailty until... I don't think I saw Frailty until after. But even if I saw Frailty, that would have been the one exception. Because everything else, I I never seen seen these movies, but he was in Failure to Launch, How to Lose a Guy, and blah, blah, blah. Or, I don't know if that was him, but I think that was him. How <laughs> you know, to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Yeah. yeah. Like, those types of movies. Like, he was in lots of those. Well, Days and Confused. But I'd never, <laughs> I'd never seen that, and I'd barely heard of it when Interstellar came out. It was okay. off my radar, right? So sure. I, I didn't know about it. So McConaughey, to me, was just this rom-com guy. That, that's why it kind of became this phrase online, we're going through the reconnaissance because he was going to be in this and then something, I think True Detective was around the same time, so there was kind of like this, oh, mm-hmm. he's proving that he's like a proper actor, <laughs> like he's, he's, he's in one sort of swell swoop, he's, he's doing all this. I think he's fine in the movie, I, I, I actually kind of like that he is a bit different, he does feel like, it, it, what's odd is that he doesn't like that he's having to farm, because part of the world is that everyone's kind of become a farmer, because that's what everyone needs. Out of be- necessity, yeah, yeah. They don't need more engineers, they need farmers, so... He's a farmer now, but he was going to be a pilot for NASA. That's what he dreamed of being. He was good at, you know, as far as he got before it all stopped, he was very good at it. He looked, he had a very promising career and then it all just went away because the world said, no, we need farmers. What's funny is I actually think he feels like someone who who belongs on a farm. And I, I just I just mean he, he looks and sounds like someone who would work on the land. He looks like someone who knows how to ride a horse and, <laughs> like, crop do crops. <laughs> I, I guess I guess I always picture him as like more of a California surfer kind of guy, but he does have that accent. Like he wasn't born in California, but he no, moved he's, to he's California a, to become a surfer. He's a Texan. I don't know what it is about um, McConaughey. Like I do think he's a good actor. Like I I do think he's genuinely a, a great actor. Even like he deserves his Oscar he got for Dallas Buyers Club. Uh, it was a great movie. Um, I mean, we do know him from other films like. You know, he was in Contact. I mean, that came before this. And um, I, I love him in Contact. I think he's perfect for that role. Rain mm-hmm. of Fire, I like a lot with him in it. But otherwise, like, he became famous because of, yeah, his, you know, the dream Texan guy with the pretty face. And I, I had seen Contact probably before this, but I'd, I'd have forgotten about it already. And I, I, I assumed that when I saw Contact, I didn't know who he was. And I, so I didn't remember. I probably knew him first from that, yeah. yeah. And then Frailty was like this, uh, you know, this blockbuster video rental that I got and I thought was such a gem and I showed it to people that I, I loved that film. I don't know, like, there's something about him and his... I don't, it's hard for me to separate McConaughey from, like, any other character that he... Or this character that he plays. Like, I, I just... I just see McConaughey in it so much. It's actually it's hard to put my finger on exactly what it is. You remember when he when he gave his Oscar speech and he said like you know everyone comes up here and they all want to thank their heroes and I'm going to thank my hero today and it's me because I did all the work myself. And that kind of just like 
put a stank on him that I wasn't able to shake after that. <laughs> and I do think he's a great actor, and I enjoy watching him. But I, I don't know if he's right for this role. There's there's something... You know, he gives it his all, and, and I, <laughs> I, I think he's good in it. There's just... I, I don't know, man. I just don't think he's right for it. I think maybe he's miscast. Like, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe he is a farmer. And he comes off too much as a farmer and not as a pilot or something. That I, I don't have this problem. And I think any qualms or like concerns I would have had about him in the role, I think go away because the performance is good. I think the scenes with him and Murph or the famous scene that's been memed to hell, which is him getting the video calls when he's in space. Mm-hmm. I won't yeah, say what I they mean, are. I won't say what they are yet. Great acting in that. Yeah. But that those moments are exceptional. And that, that doesn't matter at that point. Like, I'm in. Like, I'm, I'm just, I'm too into like, who the, it, like, even if he's still just Matthew McConaughey, well, I'm like I'm in, I'm 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 investing now in Matthew McConaughey getting back to his kids. Like I'm investing now <laughs> in that that goal. Let's get back to Renesme and it Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> so it doesn't. Who? Renesme. Who's Renesme? Isn't it the the girl from the Twilight movies? The the baby. This, the weird vampire baby. I I haven't watched the movies. You've watched the movies. Mm-hmm. I haven't got to a vampire baby yet. And why would Jessica Chastain be playing a vampire baby? <laughs> Renesme is the girl, the young girl. What? <laughs> the actress who plays Murph is in the Twilight movies. Oh, the young actor. I'm talking about, I'm talking about Jessica Chastain. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who plays the young girl. <laughs> I thought you watched all. The, I thought you watched all the Twilight movies. On I haven't the seen them all stream. yet. I've only seen the first three so far. Well, there's a Renesme. Why would you think I'd remember a character like if it's because not? Because I've never seen the the last uh, Twilight films. I, I've only seen the first two, but I know the name Renesme because when they when the book came out, and they're like, what are they going to name their kid? Spoilers. They, they they came up with the name Renesme and it became like a popular baby name for a little bit and it's just such a horrible name. Only you will try and reference something that I've seen and then <laughs> fight me on the fact that I can't remember something in it because you've heard of it. <laughs> Look, this was a big thing. This was a big deal, okay? How, but how is she I only re- know of it because it was a big deal. But how is she Renesme? She's she's far too old to be a baby, even like a few years before this. I don't know. I haven't watched the movies, but I'm I'm pretty sure she's the baby and she's her name is Renesme and she's a weird vampire blade hybrid. She's she's a great actress in this. I think she's very good. She has to cry a lot and it's very emotional. Terrence Th- Charlemagne is basically a non factor. He's just kinda there. Uh yeah. It's just now he's just kind of like, oh, look, that's Timothy Chalamet. Which, which is not a complete performance or even the writing. He's not supposed to be an important part. He's the brother. It's, the, the story revolves around Marth. That's just how yeah. it is. But uh, he just happens to be an actor who will go on to be more famous. You know, you got John Lithgow in there. He's solid enough. And you got Michael Caine in a small role because no one loves working with Michael Caine. Who has eaten a lot of okra. Well, he's got a little bit of a tub going on for, <laughs> for you know, a planet that's... Uh, Running out of food. People can have other reasons why they're gaining weight. Some people gain weight easily. Yeah, he's under a lot of stress. Yeah. Not not everyone who's overweight is because they're stuffing their face with cheeseburgers and chocolate. <laughs> what about the music? Hans Zimmer. The score. 
possibly one of the best things he's done with no and that's saying something because i love the dark knight trilogy scores i love his inception score but i have to say that this film is elevated the entire time because of zimmer's music i mean yeah i remember the music standing out from the trailer as well and um it is very good i mean when you have so much uh so many scenes that take place in space where there's no sound and stuff and you're just kind of relying on the music to draw in the atmosphere and it's i mean it's on zimmer it's he's one of the greats and uh, this score i think is also exceptional yeah yeah, but it's very experimental for him, I think, because there's a lot of Zimmer scores that sound similar. But like, and especially from certain eras where there's a lot of stuff where you can say, okay, that's 2010's Hans Zimmer because there's a lot of drums and there's a lot of this. If you go that's back, Crimson Tide. If you go back to like the the early nineties, you hear a lot of more like tuned percussion and electric guitar. Like he, he's got these eras, and you can definitely hear little motifs that he kind of like borrows and like uses again in different in movies and things like that. You can definitely recognize his stuff. And I'm not saying there's no signifiers that this is Zimmer in this, but this organ-style sound that he's got going at points in this, and this overall dreamlike and sort of... this quality that's there that's... that's about the adventure and just how... gargantuan and, like, how minuscule we feel in the awe of, like, the vastness of space and that, like the unknown and like the whatever's out there that we might find that that feeling that this sort of has and i think that's why he's, he's went with sort of an organ because you know organs use associate more most commonly with a, either a church or a church-like setting so you associate it with things like worship and you associate it with with biblical and big ideas so i think the idea of like taking that and put, putting the organ into the score to treat space and the unknown of what's in space as kind of our main character's religion. Because it kind of is, you know, the way he talks about space and going to space and what it means to him and how important that he thinks that we still study space and still explore. Like, the idea of, like, making that sound like it is his his church music, if you will, for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. I, I think is quite inspired. And it, it does sound very distinct. And it fits really well into certain action sequences. There's, there's a very great action sequence about two-thirds into this movie where the music is blasting and it is watch this movie loud it deserves to be watched loud (laughs) my subwoofer was going nuts and i do not i do not feel any bit of ounce of sympathy or remorse for my neighbors (laughs) deal with it these are big ideas and you know not just a not just a quick journey in a car somewhere across a cornfield we're dealing like with space and feeling like something is um you know bigger than yourself or bigger like when when you think about space you know you tend to feel very small and the space is so big and the music has to be big and i like the connection with the organ and like you know god and um just big ancient ideas making something feel a bit more timeless and experimental i think that's very cool that was interesting is like I don't think the subject of religion is actually that heavily used in the film. It's not completely ignored by any means, but I would say that it's it's more about like the belief of how we advance as the human as, as the human race and what we should do next, rather than it being about you know clashing the beliefs of this versus actual religion. I don't think it's making that comparison or debate necessarily, but just the music yeah. sort of drawing that thematic link in our head to that to this character and this type of experience as a religious experience to him and yeah you know so that that works that's really good 
Well, I mean, the whole point of the character also is that he's holding on to these, uh, this belief that, you know, humanity left something very important about itself behind in order to focus on, you know, something that was necessary, yeah, but, like, if you let go of those, um, those dreams, those ambitions, then you might as well just kind of die out, and he's, um, saying, like, maybe these things that we ignored are actually going to be the things that save us. It's not, yeah, it's not enough to just survive. We have to do more than that. The design of things like the ships and, like, obviously we said the visuals were really nice, space looks great, the planets look great, but I I do think the ships look nice in the sense that they they feel, like, just near future in the sense that, Mm -hmm. oh, they're a bit more advanced, but they still look kind of what you think something NASA would make. They still have this sort of similar color scheme. They still have... They still have a very tactile feel to them also. And the suits, too. Like, everything looks like not-too-distant future. Yeah, yeah. And, the you know, the technology that's in the robots and things. Like, everything is very easy to understand because it is all just a little bit ahead. It's nothing's, mm-hmm. like... They don't whip out, like, a little nanobot microwave that, like, will make... Some, you know, it's not like a replicator from Star Trek where suddenly there's something that we just can't envision. It's stuff like when he's talking to, like, Tars the robot and he's asking things like, what's your honesty setting at? And he says 90%. We understand what that means. Like, there's no explanation needed. We, it actually just makes sense. Like, he, you know, there's a little bit of leeway for him to lie if he feels like he should, but otherwise he's completely yeah. honest. And, you know, his humor setting and all that. Like, it's very easy to just imagine, like, setting the sliders on, like, your computer for, oh, how often you get this color of background? Because if you want it to cycle, it'll just, mm-hmm. you know, it'll do it based on algorithm and it's, you go from there. I love a good robot design, and I think this one is very good. It's very unique. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I remember seeing it and not knowing they were going to be in the movie. So and we, I think especially when you see like Tars and the other robots walking, it's yes. like, oh, that's cool. Like they, they have There's to. There's a little bit of like a Gumby element to them just yeah. because of their 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 shape, <laughs> but they are actually quite uh, useful and maneuverable, and they can do a lot more than you expect. Yeah, because at first they just look like a. Like a, like a rectangle a that just moves. Yeah. yeah. At first, it looks like a rectangle, but then you realize it can sort of sp- like it, it can move. It's like four rods effectively that can move independently, and then mm-hmm. like the ones at the side can like bend, so they can sort of roll yeah, and move quite quick. Smaller bits that come off of them too, much like in Demon Seed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So oh, it's just a fun, uh, it's a fun thing. And the voice of uh, Tars, who's the main robot, uh, is Bill Irwin, who. I actually didn't really know when this movie came out, but I've since seen him on things like Legion, and he was just in the uh, the Dropout show that launched on Hulu. Yeah, I know who he is. He's also he's Sukal in Discovery, isn't he? Does he wear a lot of makeup in Discovery? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he's the the one that uh, that Saru has to go. He's the one that caused the burn. Ah, okay, okay, okay. I don't think I ever knew that was him. To be honest. Yeah, he's and, under a lot of makeup, and he—I always remember him as, um, as the uh, Harry's alien dog that comes through the, the portal in Third Rock from the Sun and just acts like a human dog. Oh, that is sun. him. <laughs> so it says a lot that I could picture him in Third Rock from the Sun, which I've not watched in years, than I could an episode oh of Discovery God, from last year. He's hysterical <laughs> in that role. He's actually not changed that much. Despite no, the fact that it, was the nineties, right? Yeah, he's a bit older, obviously, but he's not actually changed that much visually. Since he's great then. in the Dropout. I've been watching that series mm. actually. If anyone has made any cameo in Third Rock from the Sun, that's immediately who I think of. Even John Lithgow, <laughs> who was the star. 
I mean, William Shatner was in that as well. <laughs> yes. So he's the big giant head, and then he's Captain Kirk. <laughs> All right, I think we could give the spoiler warning and start talking about the movie properly without uh, without the shackles. So let's do it. Just fly free. So I think the two big things we need to talk about is the the the, the overall idea of us from the future like sending back help because we have to help humanity like advance and then the idea that eventually McConaughey is going to, is going to do that to Murph and that kind of, kind of explains you know quote unquote the ghost that she ex- thinks she experiences in her bedroom as a kid because some books fall off the shelf and it ends up actually being like a message and binary and stuff like that and that's some of the early mystery of the movie and it's like that's kind of weird what's going on here um, <laughs> ghost in a sci-fi movie yeah uh so obviously i'm like okay there's going to be an explanation for this and honestly so it's probably gonna have to do with time (laughs) well yeah this is the thing is like it's not i wouldn't call this a time travel movie even though technically there's a little bit of like time travel messaging going on by the end but it's definitely not a time travel movie i would never class it as that i wouldn't no it's not going on our list no i did have that feeling i think the first time i watched it when they're talking about the quote-unquote the ghost and i'm like why do I get a feeling that later on in the movie this is going to be either him or someone well, because, else? Because the ghost like actually does give them a message, you know, and it, yeah. it's something that's readable and something that translates to something that they can read specifically and takes them to a place. Because I, I do remember actually very vividly uh, having a problem with it early on in my first viewing and thinking them getting coordinates from this weird message and that leading them to oh, this is the secret NASA base where they're going to launch this mission. That feels super convenient to me. Like, I, I remember feeling this, this was a little bit contrived. But by the time you actually get to later on, and it's like, no, he is telling himself where to go because yeah. he needs the, you know, he needs this to happen. I was like, okay, all right. It doesn't feel contrived anymore because he's actually telling himself, no, go, you need to go specifically here. You need to specifically <laughs> go here. But in the, in the moment earlier on when they go up to the gate and... The guards come out and it's like, wait, this is he's already here. This is how he gets involved with the secret NASA yeah, program. Yeah, Na- NASA's so close. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was, it was kind of wild to me at the time. But then it kind of makes more sense by the end. I think there was a moment in the first time I was watching this where when he gets to NASA and they're sitting explaining to him, yeah, space travel has publicly been outlawed and no one talks about it, but in secret because unfortunately we have to accept that this planet is doomed <laughs> and that... Uh, there'll be no food in a number of years, that we are also working towards something. But it has to be in secret because the public perception of spending all this money on stuff like this would not go down well. Mm-hmm. And it just so happens that you've came to us when we really need, like, a pilot. Because that is a line where McConaughey says, you know, I never actually left the atmosphere. Like, I never did that. And Michael Caine goes, yeah, but the other pilots here have never even been out of the simulator, so that makes you the most, like, qualified pilot on the planet. <laughs> yes, and he and Michael Caine, like, have a history together, right? Yeah, like they, yeah, yeah. So, like, he was part of that program or whatever for pilots. And so you think you would, like, reach out to him or something then. But since he's so close, like... <laughs> You just they didn't even have to fill up their gas tank to go there. Well, to I, go to NASA. I think the implication is is that when his wife died, you know, Matthew McConaughey's wife passed away, that mm-hmm. he, I don't know if that happened before or after he left NASA when he was told that, okay, no, everyone has to just go and be farmers now. But the idea is that he didn't even know where he was. I think Michael Kidd even says something like that, is that he didn't even know if he was alive. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> he didn't yeah. know where he I was. I think you're right, yeah. Yeah. They're explaining stuff to him, right? And eventually they reveal, like, 
yeah, these gravitational things that are happening, they're messages, like, someone's reaching out to us. And at one point they say them, and he's like, who's them? And it's like, oh, th- like, they're pointing towards this black hole that appeared, you know, I think it was like 40 years ago, next to Saturn. And immediately I went, all of a sudden I'm getting major 2001 A Space Odyssey vibes from this. Because there's <laughs> well, beings... Well, Saturn and not Jupiter. <laughs> that doesn't make a difference. Like, but all of a sudden there are beings that are more advanced than us drawing us out into yeah. a part of space to potentially like advances to the next stage of what we're going to do in this case it's maybe moving to another planet or whatever but immediately i was getting and obviously it's very different from 2001 and by the end of the movie there's an answer of like who these beings are and there's it's, it actually plays into some other sci-fi concepts of like us ascending to like other a fourth and then ultimately a fifth dimensional being is that eventually mm-hmm. human beings are going to be so advanced that time is just a dimension that they can sort through and all the rest of it and this was the stuff that on the first viewing i think when i was when i got to the point where mcconaughey was like surrounded by like the timeline of his daughter's bedroom okay this is kind of neat but it might be just too wild for me to like i wasn't expecting this from this movie i still kind of feel that way when i watched it this time like uh that's it's not my favorite part of the film is um the ghost stuff and the messages that are coming from him and him going around and narrating like for our sake, uh, everything that he's seen. I understand why it's there. Cause it has to be that it's the, how their journey begins and we have to have an answer for it. But like, uh, it's just so specific to him that it's hard for me to just accept that all these big ideas and stuff are just narrowed down to him and his daughter's love. Like it's just such a tiny moment. Uh, I don't know. It's it's a lot to accept. I would agree that it's not my favorite thing about the movie, but it did work for me better this time. I think knowing where it was going and also this idea that... Because he has a line specifically, because he's talking to Tars. He's not just talking to himself. Mm-hmm. I think that's notable. He's talking to Tars, uh, who's also trapped in there with him somewhere. He says, they didn't pick me. The, the reason why they've presented him with this... Because it's not like this is a timeline where he could just wander off and all of a sudden he's going through time in another part of the planet. They've, they've given him just a timeline of his daughter's bedroom. The whole idea is that they picked her because she's the one who can solve the math problem, right? Because Michael Caine's been trying for years to solve this math problem. She's going to be the one to solve it. And to do that, she needs data that you can get from inside a black hole, which Matthew McConaughey, because of what he's just done, he's... You know, Tars has recorded the data that she could potentially use to solve this gravitational equation that will help save people on Earth and give them a lifeboat, effectively. I know you're going to complain later. You don't have to do it now, but you're going to complain later about Han Hathaway's speech about love. I know you're going to do it. But here's the thing. I actually think the theme of love in this film is handled very well in every other respect other than that speech. The idea that... Matthew McConaughey loves space and loves exploration, and the idea that that's what's going to save the world mm-hmm. and not what the practical thing is. It's what the, the love that drives them to do this. And he, he has that argument with the teachers where he says, no, space travel brought us MRI machines. It brought us, like, tons of things that we would never have discovered or invented if the space race and space yeah. travel didn't exist. Excellent point. But it's what he loves it's the idea that the, our love as human beings drives this is the thing this is the most sentimental known film by far but our oh, love sure. drives us forward into new things and discovering new things and obviously the idea that Anne Hathaway wants to devote she's only got one of the two planets that are left to get fuel for one and she wants to go to the one because she kind of is in love with the guy who went there and but the other one that Matt Damon's on spoiler Matt Damon's on it <laughs> but the other one that Matt Damon which what which by the way I did not know he was in the movie when I saw it the first time no, that was that was a surprise 
And this kind of started the trope of surprise Matt Damon. <laughs> yeah, surprise Matt Damon. <laughs> but so th- she wants to make that choice based on love. And it turns out to be the right planet at the end, right? It mm-hmm. turns out Matt Damon's been a lion scumbag and that was the right planet. But then, then it, it proceeds into this where the reason why this is going to work, right? And McConaughey says this is like, well, this all, because he puts the message, the data gets put in Morse code into the watch. The second hand is like doing the message. And it's like, well, how do you know she's going to take the watch? And his answer is, because I gave it to her, because of love. Because what separates us from other beings or separates us from other things is that, you know, forget Hannah Hathaway's speech about love being this tangible thing. It's, you know, what does it function and all that? But the idea that... Love works like gravity. But because we care about things, because we Mm -hmm. do form attachment to people, that she will pick up that because it, it, it's almost like in other movies they may call it fate and I, I i think this is actually kind of a nicer way to look at it because we are motivated by love often we often do mm-hmm. things for a loved one or because we we don't want to be lonely anymore or because we seek that kind of that kind of feeling and so much of the movie and him like missing these kids childhoods and missing like most of their lives even all of that stuff it all kind of boils back down to that theme so it is there throughout so many facets of the plot in the film and so much of like rooting for characters to make the choice to go back into the bedroom she almost didn't have the watch it was sitting in her old bedroom where she'd left behind for years and it was only because she went back in and tried to like figure things out again eventually and by luck she did make the choice to take the watch but if she wasn't mad at her father for leaving which is what she was so she hated the fact that her father was leaving her behind because she was close with him and she felt abandoned if she hadn't felt that way, she probably would have just kept that watch initially. She would have kept it on her the whole time because it would have been this heirloom. It would have been this thing. But it was the thing he gave to her before he left. It was this meaningful thing. I guess the message that I would say the film is giving ultimately is that sometimes the purely practical thing versus something you do out of love, the, the thing you do out of love is actually something that you, sh- you shouldn't just abandon that because that's what makes us mm-hmm. human. Like, and I think that is a very nice thing to say. And I don't think the movie's message is just abandon the planet. The movie is presenting as a status quo where the planet is already doomed. Like, it's not saying, like, obviously, yes, we are all about, like, uh, you know, protecting the planet. We're all about uh, improving things. But this movie's saying, no, it's already past th- that point of no return. People are getting sick. Food's running out. There has to be a solution. Uh mm-hmm. So I don't think the movie's trying to say that's just abandon Earth. I don't think that's the, the well, point at all. I mean, Michael Caine has the line, it comes up many times, of, you know, humans were born here, but we were never meant to die here. That's not Michael uh, Caine. Uh, well, it's someone. In the Matthew, it's the main character. It's Matthew McConaughey says it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I thought Michael Caine said it also, and then it was something that he repeated, because that's why he goes on the mission. Nah, because it's, it's, it's Matthew McConaughey says it in the trailer, and then it's on the poster as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, right. But, like, I, no, I'm pretty Ma- sure Michael Caine says it also. No, Michael Caine repeatedly says the I will not go quietly into the good night, yada, yes, yada. Uh, he says that a lot. That well. mm-hmm. I guess that ties into the... Well, it's not biblical, it's just a poem. Yeah, I mean, that's why I like movies like Tomorrowland also, <laughs> where it's just like, yes, yeah, so we should be inspired and want better for our children and, you know, set up um, success for the race to continue on, the human race. Um, but you know, don't give up on the planet because we're not the only ones who live here, <laughs> you know. I, I do appreciate the themes of this film, of love. I, I actually really do like that message. I, I don't want us to 
to think that our the future of humanity is going to Mars and terraforming or going to find another planet and starting over and screwing up there. That's why people love America so much. You know, America represents, well, we can start fresh. We can, we can come here. We can we have a blank slate. We can make a new government and it's all going to go perfectly. And look where it's gotten us. <laughs> you know, we're I, still screwing it up even faster than other countries. So it's, it, I don't know. I, I don't think that, <laughs> obviously it's, it's not important to this film because this movie like you said is already past the point of no return it's just not a message i love <laughs> of giving up but on your planet <laughs> I, I don't think that's the mess i don't think that's a message in the film though i i think there's just something at the core concept that kind of bugs you a little bit because you don't like the, the, this idea in general look i love my planet it's my favorite <laughs> planet in the solar system and i love astronomy <laughs> I I, just, I, I yeah. just I I disagree that that is even like a message in this film. It's just it's not well, really it's in a... the subtext. You know, it's a lot of people like <laughs> Musk and stuff wants to go to Mars, wants to terraform Mars, and say and everybody. It's such a there's just this appeal to starting I, mm, fresh. You know, no, I I think you're imprinting just things onto this. I don't think this is in the movie. Well, I mean, maybe I am, but like, even if I am, this movie's bringing it out of me because it's just a pattern I see in a lot of uh, sci-fi or people who just talk about things like, wouldn't it be great when, you know, we can leave Earth and we can have another planet that we can start over Or on? you could take it as a warning that things may get this bad, that we have to rely on leaving Earth when maybe we shouldn't. Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> That's why I, I kind of like the whole, you know, parallel with the with the Dust Bowl message of like, we screwed up when we got here and we created a big mess because we did too many monocrops and screwed up the environment to where we didn't, we couldn't grow crops for a long time. But, you know, we sort of you know, got through that time and came out better because we focused on it rather than trying to run away from it. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. I just don't think the movie's about that. It, like it's, it's there is a plot backdrop to set up like, what the movie wants to talk about, but I don't think the movie's actually about that. I I wouldn't say it's about it either. I mean, it is still uh, it's, but it's still there. It's still something I think of when I watch it. Yeah, well, which which is why I kind of knew actually like, earlier on where you know and spoiler free, and I was saying I don't want to say I disagree that I like the message and you don't because I because I, I didn't think we were talking about the same things and I was right because you're talking about this and I'm I'm talking about no the the film's actually the actual message of the film is what I was talking about with the love and the, the you know not just taking the practical cold-hearted route like being connected to things is what makes us human and what makes us feel special and that's what gives us humanity is caring about each other it's not just about like, okay, it's one thing to say, yeah, the human species will get to survive because we'll grow some new people on a colony and but everyone on Earth is doomed. Like, that's kind of, that's kind of I mean, look at it that way. Is that it, like, the whole idea of the film where, okay, plan A is to somehow turn this big station that's been built in, as a building and use the gravity equation to get it off Earth and save everyone on Earth that way. Take that as a metaphor for not abandoning what we already have. And Plan B is the colony, which is the new thing out there in space somewhere. I know mm -hmm. technically, in literal sense, yes, we're abandoning the planet because it's already doomed. But take the Plan A, saving the people already there, is saving Earth. That's saving the people of Earth. So that's what that represents. Yeah, it's still just saving the humans. 
I'm sure they brought some animals. <laughs> <laughs> there aren't any animals. Everybody's probably eating them all. That's why they have to just eat corn and okra. <laughs> have you ever had okra? No. Huh? You'll hate it. It's. Uh, I'm sure. Oh. It's made of slime on the inside. <laughs> it's a vegetable made of slime. Yeah, so it's disgusting. I don't want it. I do. I do really like the the whole theme of like not giving up on the the fantastic, you know, of just like, well, it seems totally absurd that we could ever travel that far into space. So let's just give up on that completely and focus on what's important. I do think that needs to be there. Also, <laughs> we need to have you know, motivation to keep going and to dream big and to aspire to something bigger. Yeah. And also, like just to just in case anyone sort of like brings this question up, I don't know if people think about this when they watch this movie, but obviously the idea that if humans from the future and whatever version of our existence that exists where we are, we've ascended like Ironheart and Babylon Five as a as a superior being, Gary Mitchell, or Gary Mitchell, <laughs> uh, like well, obviously if we never sent the black hole up in the first place then we wouldn't be able to travel to a planet and therefore we wouldn't survive and yet but that's the thing when we advance to this this fifth dimension form of existence time to us at that point is not going to be like time is something we can move through so it's not actually because normally we talk about time travel you talk about oh well this would never happen if kyle reese never came back in time and impregnated sarah connor like normally that's some sort of a time loop thing you can talk about i feel like in this is a little bit different because it, it clearly says that for these beings for us in the future eons in the future i assume you know like i got you know like a, like millions billions of years maybe in the future time mm -hmm. at that point is something you can just move around at so it's not a big deal to us in the future that oh yeah we have to go back and do that to make sure whatever. it's true and the one thing where i thought it was odd is they gave us multiple planets that we could pick from where clearly they know which planet we would go to or the one that we need to go to to survive uh well, what the thing gave us well, because, um, so the black hole leads to 12 different pros perspective planets, but we don't have the resources to go to all 12. So we have the resources to go to one solar system that has three planets nearby. So we can send one ship and then hopefully one of those three will be right for us. But like, why wouldn't they just say like, this is the planet you need to go to? Because <laughs> it's the one where we get to and then we survive. Um, well, it's not, I, I guess, I suppose you could ask, why not just tell them? I mean, maybe part of the, because they know it's important that the struggle has, like, they have to achieve it. It's not just like a thing, but. But one out of 12 is risky. <laughs> but until, until you said that, though, it's, it's not like they, they, they give them 12 planets to go and explore. There happens to be that many planets that surround this planet that's the important one. Like, they've given them a black hole that like, they can get them to the one planet they need to get to. But it's not like they could, like, and let, again, let's just actually specifically say these other planets, ignore those other 11. Like, those 11, 11 aren't important. Uh, if anything, the complaint I would have about the planets is more just, there is one moment where, like, I think they, they come across a little bit silly, the humans in the, in the film, is, like, after they visit the water planet, the first planet they go to, and they say, yeah, this was never viable because it's too close to the black hole. I'm like... Didn't you know it was close to the black hole before you went down there? Or maybe even before you came out here? Like, I don't, why is this a shock to you that it's, it's too close to the black hole to be a home? Well, because they, uh, they were getting messages, though, right? They were getting messages, From... yes, yes. 
yeah. but n- they never seem to consider that because of the, the time difference because this planet was so close to cause this is where they lose a lot of years on earth because uh they're so close to the black hole that one hour down here is years and years on earth and and they never occurred to them that because of the time difference like this person who landed this woman who landed here did die probably in like maybe 20 minutes but because of the time difference it was beaming back messages for a decade yeah <laughs> you know uh, i'm probably off you know I'm, I'm i'm exaggerating a bit but that's the the, the gist of it yeah well they say when they get there like she probably had just got there before we landed yeah yeah which is which is why like the the wreckage of her little like transmitter was still like easy to find because it wasn't yeah because yeah, it only been a few minutes since it got hit Presumably her body would be around there too. Yeah, but those those waves are pretty big. I can buy the it got <laughs> you know very big. I actually do love this. I I feel like I'd never seen this before in a movie. Is the idea of the big giant slow wave? Because not it's not a tidal wave. It's as tall as a tidal wave, but it's just it's a regular a wave. Point break. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. It's just a big. Uh, it's it's a wave. There's no crest. Yeah. It's basically just the idea that... The, I think that's the word I'm looking for. The gravitational pull is obviously so huge that the waves, compared to the waves that we have in the ocean on Earth, it's just mm-hmm. that big. That's just how big the waves are. It's these I big... I like that they, they like stand in the water, too. Like, it's yeah. only a foot deep when it's low tide. Well, that's because the waves are so big that it's, it's sucking up all the water. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it looks like just a water planet. Like, where are they going to land? On the water. I do have to. I do wonder if some surfers watched this movie and went, "If only." Yeah. <laughs> They're like, "Oh, baby." It won't be like Bodie and hit that wave. <laughs> it'll kill me, but it'll be worth it. <laughs> <laughs> so they meet a guy who's already in the station, right? The, the main ship they're going to flick because they, obviously they, they launch up and then there's like a sh- like a station or a ship already up there, mm-hmm. which has a guy on it, and he becomes like the fourth member. And you know, I will say this guy and the 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 guy they go up with, like the third person. I'm like, okay, you two are here to die at some point because you're not Matthew McConaughey or Anne Hathaway. Right, you're not a name. So it's a white guy and a black guy. So I mean, for lack of a better term, the white guy dies on the water planet, um, mm-hmm. and, and the the waves. And you know, McConaughey is pissed because like they, he, like they specifically sort of approach the planet in a certain way so that they wouldn't be caught in like, the 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 time difference. For you know, for as little as possible, so that they're not wasting too much time back on Earth. But then, yeah. because they have this accident, because Anna Hathaway refuses to like go as quickly as she should to try to get the data off the the device. Yeah, there le- is, I mean, there's a real reason why she needs it and stuff. Oh sure, yeah, she's not just being stupid or selfish. selfish yeah, yeah. But she 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 does cause this delay, which means that they lose like decades of time. On Earth. Because because the wave hits and they're not able to yeah. avoid the wave. And 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 on the and on the main ship, like when they go back up there, the other guy, he's he's got gray in his beard. He's he's been there for ages. It's been yeah, tw- decades. It's been twenty three years. I do love that because she is stubborn and needs to get the data that we get to see Tars in action. Oh yeah, yeah. He goes <laughs> to save it just her. Becomes like a really yeah. thing. No, it's good stuff. Ball made of spikes. <laughs> so it's like shit and we use more fuel because the, because because the ship had to wait for so long for them to come back it used mm-hmm. up more fuel than anticipated so it's like we can only go to one of these other two planets but yeah. before we talk about that we have to talk about the video messages because it's like oh it's been 23 years there's 23 years of video messages like waiting for you to listen to and this scene is like it's, it's the i wouldn't say it's the 
It's the best emotional scene of the movie. I don't know if I'd say it's the best scene because we have to talk about the docking scene later because that thing is spectacular. But right, yeah. But <laughs> Matthew Curry sits down and it's like first it's Timothy Chalamet and he's like, "Oh, I met a girl," and he's all excited, and then it transitions to uh, Casey, Casey Affleck. Affleck, yeah. And he's like, oh, we got a baby now. Look at the baby. And McConaughey starts like breaking down and crying. And it's like, it was very emotional. And it's very, you know. It's a good performance, yeah. Murph isn't there. Murph's not sending messages all this time. And it's not a surprise because we saw that she wasn't wanting to talk to him before he left. And she was really heartbroken about it. It gets to the point where, and this is not like a mean thing, but Casey Affleck's like, her daughter died. Um... Like, we've got a son, but, you know, our daughter passed away. We're having a rough time. And it's been a long time since I made one of these. But we just had, you know, grandpa's funeral. Like, John Lithgow has passed away by this point. Which, you know, makes sense in all 20 years in the future. Of course he has. If mm-hmm. anything, I was shocked when they said Michael Caine was still alive, to be honest. But he's, like, I kind of have to let you go. And it, this made sense to me. Like, I get this. Like, at a certain point, he just has to sort of accept him as dead. Even if he might not be. Like, on Earth, because he's been gone so long, he just... Like, he has to. Like, he, ha- he has yeah. to let go of him. And it's this heartbreaking thing for McConaughey to watch. And it turns off, and he's sitting there, and then the- it turns back on, and it's it's Jessica Chastain. So you're like, oh, shit, it's Murph. Good casting. Like, the-, the kid really does look like her. One of the things that McConaughey said before he left is that by the time I come back, we might be the same age. Mm-hmm. And that's why she's making this. I thought this was a great motivation for why she finally made a, a-, a-, a call. It was like... Yeah. This, this is why, because I am now the age you were when you left. And I'm still pissed off. <laughs> and I'm still mad at you. <laughs> well, she, I mean, she might also think he's dead at that point, too. Yeah, she might. Yeah. But it, it's, it's a wonderful transition because it it lets us then follow her on Earth in the new present day. But I love that we don't see any of Earth when they're down in that planet. We don't actually see any of Earth once they launch. Like, once they launch, we stay away from Earth until they come back up at that planet. So you feel the mm-hmm. time change. It feels like it's been like at least 30, 40 minutes since you've seen Earth. So when you cut back to it now, and we do see Jessica Chastain and she's with uh, Topher Grace, who <laughs> may be her love interest. She's working with Michael Caine and they're trying to solve this equation problem. And Michael Caine promised that he'd figure it out, but he's, th- he's starting to get really doubtful and he's like getting really upset. And then of course he eventually reveals that he never really believed that he would because it's just impossible without some of this data about the center of the black hole, which just, there's no way of getting. Yeah. Uh, but There's no way to get into a black hole. Yeah. Uh, and of course, we get around that by, you know, the fact that when they're making their big sacrificial thing to get Anne Hathaway to the final planet, Conaghy, like, pulls away, but they were always going to pull away for TARS, the idea that TARS could get the data, beam it back to Earth before he, like, turns off eventually, because he would probably run out of power, I assume. Yeah, something about this black hole because it's very stable may allow for they called to it enter a, it. A shallow something. They said it was a shallow something. Yeah. I can't remember what the word was, but yeah. Called it Gargantua or something. That was the, that, that was its name. That was the, the name of the black hole was Gargantua. When they get to like Doctor Man's planet, who's Matt Damon, and I actually really love this twist that he lied. Like, he, he got scared. Me too. Because they, they kept telling us like, throughout the film that he was the inspirational scientist. Who, he was the best of them. He was he the best would, of the best of the best. He inspired the other 11 to go on this yeah. mission where they knew they might never see a human being again. Because ultimately, they were only ever going to send ships to X number of planets. And they can only send it... To, ultimately, it turns out to be three. And they picked Dr. Man's planet. And it looks like... This looks a bit like a nice planet. I don't know, dude. Like, this, seems, this doesn't seem very nice. And he's like, yeah, it's pretty cold, but... 
underneath the surface yeah yeah so the surface is, is, is a bit better and you can breathe down there so we could we could turn this into a home yeah they said the air is full of ammonia and like even the clouds are frozen oh i love <laughs> which that is a great scene yeah, yeah i love that and it's not even a, it's like a little moment when they're flying down but yeah they, but it just reminds you oh alien yeah. alien world they hit a cloud and it, it's, it's like they're going through like a clumped up bit of snow where it just kind of yeah. sprinkles and crumbles and it's like oh that was interesting. That's different. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that a lot. Uh, but it's yeah. got a little bit of an Inception thing where it's like there's a there's a solid surface and then another solid surface. But yeah, he 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 heel turns and tries to kill McConaughey. Doesn't want him to because because when they find out that Michael Caine was kind of lying about Plan A and that it was never really going to be possible. When Murph finds out when Michael Caine's dying, she sends a message and Tars like gets that from the ship and shows them it. Matt Damon kind of confirms that he knew about this. So, so this is like, this has been the truth since like before McConaughey was involved. Yeah. And he's like, okay. And Anne Hathaway feels guilty because she didn't know this, but she's like, okay, what can I do? What do you want? And he's like, let me go home. Well, let me go and see my kids and just die with them. I, you know, I don't want to be out here. And she's like, okay, they help us set up the colony and you can take the ship back. But Matt Damon, knowing that he's lying... Is like no, we kind of need that ship to go to the next planet because, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I was fibbing. <laughs> yeah, we it can't stay out, here. Like well, they kept talking about how brave he was and how he's the best of us and how like even like when they were deciding which planet do we go to, do we go to like uh, Edwards or do we go to? I, sorry, I can't remember his name. I think it was like something like that, or do we go to Mans? And like, well, you kept saying he was the best. And here he is saying that there's like we've got two beacons saying come here to our planet. Um, why like why wouldn't we trust him? And and Hathaway's like, well, I mean the readings he says they're good, but the readings aren't good. And you know, it, obviously it ties back into the theme of of love and stuff. He's like, well, you're in love with this other guy, so that might be influencing your decision. And I mean, I like that she was right. <laughs> And also just like yeah, instinctively so. was right too. Um, and I, I like also that this traditional hero, I mean, they even kind of cast somebody that we see as a good guy in this role on purpose. Yeah, yeah. You know, someone who is normally easy to root for is somebody who just is afraid of dying. Someone who's just afraid that like he says in the, in the film that I just never thought of the possibility that mine wouldn't be at the planet. Yeah. <laughs> like, I would have to die here. I, I like that line. I love, I love McConaughey because I'm an effing coward. Like, I love that moment yeah. because it's like, it's the complete opposite of what everyone's been saying about him the whole time. And he Some just, people are just show. Yeah. Yeah. And he just calls him what he is. And I, I, I think, you know, because, because we see at the end of the film that the, the scientist that Anne Hathaway was excited to see actually died. Like, we see her like, sort of like putting like a name on like a little grave but it was the right plan. There's a little tent set up, and it looks like, yeah, she's breathing the air. It looks hus- more, far more hospitable. She's not wearing the suit, yeah. yeah. Far more hospitable in the cold planet, anyway. That's might even be on the nose, but it, maybe it's not actually on the nose because I only just thought of it now. But the idea that, yeah, like, there's okay, there's the love choice, which, and I think McConaughey does have rights to doubt. Like, she has maybe been selfish and maybe just wants to see the person. Even <laughs> though her analysis of why man's data seems a slightly sketchy is right. You understand why the other two of them are like, I don't know, like you kinda of want to see this guy again, that may be clouding your judgment. I kind of like the the literal part that the cold choice ended up being a cold planet. <laughs> like the cold <laughs> scientific choice was this cold planet. 
Yeah, that's uh, interesting. I never thought of that. It's just a, but... it's a little touch that just that popped out in my head as you were talking about uh, like her, her wanting to go to the other one. Uh, but it's the idea being that love led her in the right direction, even though she didn't get what she wanted. She didn't get to really spend time with them. I don't, it doesn't look like it anyway. It looks like she found a dead body and, and yeah. buried them. Yeah, yeah. We, we get just a little... We get the grave, yeah, basically. Yeah. But it's about hoping. It's about hoping for, for something and all yeah, the rest I mean, of it. obviously she wants to see him again, but she's still, like, you know, she's still the Ripley of this crew where she's like, this is the hard science I'm looking at here and it, the data doesn't add up. I And it's it's very seductive to, you know, believe in someone with a big personality, somebody who, who talks like, uh, you know, inspires a lot of people and, and stuff like that. But, you know, when it comes down to the data, <laughs> it's still... You know, I mean, obviously it was the love that was the right choice also, just instinctively trusting the character of somebody that you know that because you're close to. Also. Yeah. It's like, because there's almost a little interesting arc there where when they're first talking about these possibilities and McConaughey suspects that maybe she had a relationship with one of them, he asked Tars, like, oh, what was the stat, you know, what type of relationship did, did her and this guy have? And it was a little jokey moment because Tars is like, Oh, I honestly couldn't say. Is like, is that ten percent honesty or ninety percent honesty? You know, the joke being, is he intentionally lying? Mm-hmm. And he's like, I also have a discretion setting, meaning that you know he will keep a, a secret like that uh, for privacy's sake. And the idea being that McConaughey recognizes the best. Like McConaughey recognizes this connection as a potential flaw. He's asking this because he thinks this may cloud her judgment, so he sees it as a negative. When ultimately. Right. Like in his own story later, it's his connection to his daughter that's going to save the world. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. the it's the love that's going to save everything. Yeah, and his love for his you know passion of science and exploration. And... Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's uh it's really good stuff. And obviously, Matt Damon is in fury. And at this point, because he tries to kill McConaughey, there's a really great tense sequence where Hathaway's flying the shuttle out to him to like save him, and he's like trying not to breathe too because he's his head is his cracked. His helmet's cracked. Yeah. Which oh, I love the line by the way because. Matt Damon starts headbutting him, and McConaughey says, "There's a fifty-fifty chance this will kill you instead." And he goes, "Best odds I've had in years." Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, that's a really good line." <laughs> I mean, this man, yeah, is focused on his survival only. Yeah, it's yeah. uh, so, like yeah, fifty. Like I, I thought it was like a one in. Like, it's not even just one in twelve, really. It's like there, ha- like people have to actually come out here in the first place, and then there's like a one in twelve chance of them coming to your planet. Like, yes. like the chances were pretty remote that you were ever going to see someone and be saved. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he thought he was brave, but he was just all talk, even yeah. to himself. He keeps monologuing too the whole time, <laughs> trying to like justify everything that he, all of his actions and stuff. And... I think works really well in the sense that it feels like it fits his character. One, he's been on his own so long that he probably would talk to himself, or maybe yeah. he's just so excited to tell all this to someone that he is just he's unleashing it all. But he's also yeah. trying to convince himself that he's justified and he's what doing he's it doing. Right. Yeah. yeah, he you know, he kills the the other guy, um, he, he destroys the other robot, right? Uh, so mm-hmm. it's just at this point, I think it's. Actually, maybe there's still the one on the ship that Anne Hathaway can keep, but Tars obviously is with McConaughey when he leaves. Yeah, he so, destroyed his own robot yeah. because his own robot will probably. I mean, he said he did it for sur- his own survival because he needed the. No, it parts sounds or like he'll, it sounds like the robot might fib on him and give some accurate yeah, details. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, But like, there's like, a great moment here where he's like pretending to be like, "I'm I'm here for you, uh, uh, Cooper's McConaughey's name. I'm here for you." 
Cooper, you won't die alone. I'll keep speaking to you as you die because I care because I'm a good person. <laughs> I'm doing this for the mission. <laughs> like it's 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 all that and it's good stuff. And then yeah, so he's infuriating because he does all this, and then they're chasing him up to the ship because he's going to try and dock with the main ship. Basically, he's clearly not that experienced as an astronaut, relatively, right? And he's going to make some mistakes. And McConaughey is constantly saying. If he does this and he doesn't, you know, the, the way he's, he's doing this, he's going to like cause an explosion. He, he tries to tell him this, and Matt Damon is so intent and in just doing what he, he thinks he should do that he just mutes him mm-hmm. and he isn't listening to him. He tries to manually dock because, like, they've disabled the auto docking because they don't want him to do it because he doesn't know the procedure. And also, if he leaves with that ship, they're stranded. And yeah. at this point, they believe he will <laughs> because he's given them no reason to suspect anything else. He's so, already tried to kill them. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think his death is super effective where he's like mid-sentence and because he like hits the switch and then it's like, oh, the explosion happens and he's sucked out into space and there's just silence. Yeah. Well, once again, he just thinks that it's not going to be me. I'm not yeah. the one. I'm the hero of the story. I can't be the one that dies. I think, obviously, I think he's a warning of arrogance and yeah. ignorance. Um, I think that's the clear message with his character, but... I think the sound design, the way it just goes silent when he dies is excellent. And then mm-hmm. then you have what may be one of the most breathtaking action sequences of the last <laughs> the decade. The tense moment, yeah. It's, because, and I, I love the way it's... Because I'd forgotten that, like how it starts where... Because the explosion sends the, the ship spinning and it's, go, it's going to fall into the atmosphere and it's not designed to go through atmosphere. It's meant to just be in space. Yeah, it's so like it's, a space station. Yeah, it's going to be destroyed. Ikari, like, you know, for lack of a better term, puts his foot on the gas... And Hathaway says, what are you doing? And he just very calmly says, docking. <laughs> I'm going to... And it's like, you madman. And that's the thing. From the start of the movie, he's set up that he's kind of a hotshot pilot. Like, he's kind right. of good at this. But it, it has to match the rotation of this spinning out of control right. ship. It's basically the same thing that Damon did with this extra dangerous element of it's also going to be spinning at a rapid pace. And you have a time element because if you don't do it quickly, it's going to burn up in the atmosphere. Yeah, it's going much faster now than when Damon was doing it. <laughs> <laughs> now it's going super fast, and it's like it's like impossible. You could have all almost... you, you could pass out from the G force. Yeah, and Anna Hathaway does. Anna Hathaway mm-hmm. passes out in the other seat just as they're finishing. But at one point, Tars is saying this is impossible, and I almost you, you literally could just take the quote from Star Wars, never telling me the odds. You, you could slip that into this scene, <laughs> and it would work. And I'm glad they didn't because it would it would make it feel cheesy. And I, I, it's not cheesy. It doesn't feel cheesy. And that's why it's so yeah. fun. But the organ music's blaring. It's super tense. Yeah, it's really white knuckle. Yeah, whenever it cuts back to that wide shot and you see the full thing spinning and they're trying to match the spinning of it, it just it feels like this is insane that he's even trying to do this. But if they don't do this, then they're just marooned and dead. Mm-hmm. It's like they have to do it because if they and don't... And goodbye humanity it. also. Yeah. The, st- the stakes cannot be higher on both a <laughs> micro and macro level. They cannot be higher. <laughs> Thanks to Matt Damon's selfishness. <laughs> it's so funny that, like, one year later, he was in The Martian. It's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, I think I joked and when I saw... And he was also a surprise Matt Damon in uh, Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> well, that's very different, though. That's, like, not... I, well, yeah, but it was still surprise Matt Damon. I wasn't talking about surprise. I was talking about astronaut Matt Damon, though. Because I my, know. Because my joke when that came out, or when the trailer came out, is that he literally just kept his outfit from Interstellar. Mm. <laughs> and just kept the same outfit on when he went to set for the Martian. 
that was just his uh, method acting was just yeah. <laughs> was doing interstellar first so we'll uh obviously we're not done the martian yet and we will at some point no doubt so gotta save the biggies accelerating sequence and then they make a plan to send Anne Hathaway to well the plans for them to both go but like he knows like fuel wise and chance wise because they're going to like slingshot around whatever to like give them the the because they'll have the fuel to just go the traditional way so they're going to slingshot around to get the the momentum they need and he he knows at this point that he needs to get data from inside the black hole yes what what he says he's going to do uh, with TARS, but then he also like he doesn't know like if he'll be able to do it. He's just going to take a chance. Yeah. So so he like leaves her and sends her off in the hopeful journey that maybe she will start this colony and you know Plan B will be a success. And he gets sucked out of the black hole. And you, obviously he he actually ejects from the, the the little shuttle at one point because it's going to like completely implode. Then he falls into like you know fifth dimension library land. Uh, I say a library because it's like because it's from the p- perspective behind a bookcase, it kind of has like a sort of library look to it. Mm-hmm. We talked we talk about this scene for the most part earlier, but I'll just add on and add on to it that I love him yelling, "Make me stay!" You know, ma- you know, stop me from going, Murph. Like he's begging her. That he, he at this point he he thinks he's made the wrong choice, like going on this journey, and he wishes he never left. Obviously, he had to, and obviously, when he realizes that he's going to send a message back, and it was it was always him that was sending the messages back. It's important, and he does that. But uh, it did work for me better this time because I, I kind of like I knew where it was going, and it tied more into the themes of everything better for me this time. I think. Yeah, me too. Me as well. I mean, I the visuals obviously are really great. Uh, you just have to accept that you know this is a very very specific to very to her and to him and their storyline and you know this is all set up for 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 himself and it, it's a hard thing for me to wrap my mind around but if you accept it then for me it's not though because like it's not like he just fall out fell in here by random like the beings us from the future mm-hmm. picked her and picked this room because it had sentimental ties to them like Yes. So, so to me, it's not, not nothing about it's random and it's specific because they, they knew it had to be her. So because you have these big, giant, godly hands of us from the future knowing what needs to be done, it doesn't feel like, like I don't know, like convoluted to me that it is his daughter's bedroom. They picked his daughter's bedroom. I know. I know. I, I understand all that. I, yeah. I just, it's still hard for me to just feel, to watch the movie and go okay. Like, I don't know. Like, it, there's, <laughs> it's, it's a lot. Okay. Um, it's a lot. But, not, but just, it's, there's no denying it's a lot. <laughs> like a, but it's still like visually, like that's it's a beautiful scene. I, I love the representation of like all the the lines of the books, like just looking like strings, just like interwoven mm. with each other, and just flying him flying through it, going through different timelines of of Murph and this only this bookshelf. We only see that one spot. You know, it is a beautiful scene. It's yeah, it's just it's just a lot. <laughs> It's a, it's a lot. There's no denying that. And then he wakes up, of course, in a hospital, and he's like, "Okay, where am I?" And he looks out, and they're in a space station. This is a space station that's near Saturn, presumably. And it, and there's an implication that there's more than one of these stations that are like huge and filled with life. And it looks like it looks like basically just a circular Earth. And that when he looks out the window, you can see like you know houses and like gardens going up in the big sort of arc of a space station. There's like kids playing baseball because there was a baseball thing at the start of the movie that got interrupted by the storm. So this is like, no, mm-hmm. they can play baseball now. The only problem now is that if they hit a good shot, they may hit a window that's above them. Yeah, it's another inception thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but so 
it implies there's more than one of these because they say that his daughter's move it has to travel from another station so it's like oh she is still alive like and just barely because it's mm-hmm. actually um uh ellen bernstein from the exorcist who plays murph in the hospital yeah. bed at the end this was neat it was like okay so like people talked about him in high school people assumed he was dead all this time because it, you know it'd been so long and then he gets to see his daughter again, and she's this elderly woman who's on her deathbed. I mean, she's not, I mean, she's not dying like tomorrow or anything. Yeah, but she's got like she's surrounded by her family and his family, you know. So he gets to see like, yeah, she's she's dying, but she still had you know, their their lineage has continued. Oh, of and course, stuff, yeah. And... It's because like, before he goes in the room, like the the doctor whoever says she's with, with the rest of her family, and he's like family, and he walks out. It's like yeah, she's had kids, and they've had kids, and so she's got like you know 15 grandkids like there mm-hmm. <laughs> like standing yeah. around her it's obviously she's happy she got to see him again and he's happy he got to see her but she says you shouldn't watch me die i'm your child don't watch me die i have my younger family who's here to care for me go and be who you're supposed to be go be the explorer yeah basically i, I forgive you i love you you were my ghost you were there the whole time for me also. yeah and hathaway went out there and will be the same age as you still so mm-hmm. you know don't let her be alone go go be go go and be an explorer and go start the new thing with her and it's i love that it never like implies or suggests that they are going to be a love or romantic interest to each other it's just about no don't let her be alone don't let her be, be alone in humanity and maybe it will become romantic who cares doesn't matter but well sure yeah i'm I guess I sort of picked up on that. Oh, yeah, I guess, you know, and she is Anne Hathaway. She's not ugly. She's, <laughs> she's yeah. all right. But, but like, there's nothing romantic there yet. I don't even think, like, him going off to make sure, like, she's not alone as she starts this colony is, like, necessarily, yeah. like, I'm going to go be the husband to her now. I think it's more just... Yeah. Is there an implication that they can get there, like, quickly? Also, because, like, how... how is the worm's hole still there? Is he still able to get to her? Yeah, like, I assume, like, he can get there just as quickly as Anne Hathaway did. You know, like, like for her, it's the same as him, where all this has happened on Earth. Anne Hathaway's yeah. in time the same place that he is, age-wise. Uh, I suppose the only, the only reason why maybe he wouldn't be, I, I, there's an argument for this, actually, is that this second time jump for him when he's, when he goes into the, because he's into the black hole, and then yeah. he's like in the, the whole time sphere and stuff. He wakes up and it's, we've, we've jumped ahead again, you know, because we went from like Jessica. Years. We went from Jessica Chastain to. Dying Ellen Bernstein. Yeah, so, you know, because I, I think they joke that he's 120 or something like that when he wakes up. Um, yeah. So, in theory, you could argue that because Anne Hathaway didn't go in the black hole, that she actually will be like old, old uh, Chastain's age, like old Murphy's age now. Yeah uh so so maybe like he'll get to this planet and she will have started the colony and there'll be a bunch of like teenagers and stuff <laughs> running around <laughs> yeah i suppose uh who are all encouraged to have sex because they have to populate <laughs> lucky them well they're not brothers and sisters they're they, they were embryos well, yeah they brought yeah. the that yeah. that is the 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 problem that was addressed also by michael kane in the beginning yeah they have to be, all be diverse so that like mm-hmm. You know, genetically speaking, so that they can populate and stuff. Well, they're, they're about to have an inf- infuse of McConaughey DNA to like spice it up a bit. So yeah, he's gonna Genghis Khan it. <laughs> hey, it's only for the future of the human race, right? He's got a duty. <laughs> actually, there's a line at the start. Actually, John Lithgow cracks a joke 
where he's, he's kind of trying to encourage his son-in-law to like maybe get out there and like start dating again because like hey you're meeting that teacher she's about your age i think she's single and he says um i'm talking about repopulating the planet young man when are you going to start pulling your weight and i thought he's already got two kids to be fair it's not like he's not <laughs> it's not like he's not two is a fair amount two is a fair amount of kids to give to the world yeah he's got a boy and a girl nailed it nailed it the first time <laughs> so uh, also they're running out of food like you don't want to bring too many mouths in yeah wh- why <laughs> i mean they do also talk about population being a problem that like there's a lot less people because of like people dying mm-hmm. they, do, they do mention that so i suppose yeah but still if food's limited maybe you know balance those two things a bit <laughs> <laughs> and later on we see you know clearly you know some of the kids are dying like they're they're getting various like diseases yeah. because they're breathing in too much crap all day casey affick lost a Lost a kid, and yeah. it looks like his wife is also dying. Yeah, oh, but obviously we're we're jumping all the way back to like the start of the movie here, but we we did kind of jump quite heavily into the space stuff. I I want to talk yeah, about that, that's okay. I want to talk about how much I love the scene, the parent teacher conference, where because mm-hmm. there's a lot of good stuff that comes out of it, where it's like okay, it's a lot of world. Uh, yeah, like, building things, your, yeah. Your, your son can be a good farmer. Well, what about college? Well, yeah, but now colleges only take like, the top X percent because, quite frankly, we need farmers. <laughs> we need people who are doing work like that. And your son's going to be great at it. Oh, your daughter's also been spreading filthy stuff about uh, the moon landing. Yeah, which they are now outlawing saying didn't happen because they don't want to encourage the idea that we should spend money on stuff like this. Yeah, they've been using... She's been using her dad's old textbooks but the new yeah. textbooks are you know that's that's correct and and, and it's not a more like just philosophical way effectively they're saying you shouldn't dream like the, mm-hmm. the world needs to be exactly this way and you have to serve your function in it no dreaming allowed and that's you know that's the philosophy of the movie is that no dreaming is important to who we are it's, it's what inspires us to go out and do and solve things and and fix things because we we can go further so you know, there's a really nice sentimental message in there. And, I agree. You know, uh, a little bit in the camera work, I really like uh, some of the shots. Like, see when he's leaving the farm, when he's going, there's a mm-hmm. shot that's looking, it's like a, it's like fixed to the truck and it's looking as like the, not the exhaust, but it's the, uh, the, the dirt that's been kicked up from the tires because it's a dirt road. So it's like, it looks almost like a rocket exhaust, right? But the mm-hmm. camera shot is very similar to the sort of shot you would get of a camera that's on that's strapped onto a rocket that's going to leave in space. Right. and looking down at the exhaust so it's film like he's like launching but he's just driving mm-hmm. and it's, it's oh, a, that's, that's interesting yeah i didn't notice that well touch really mm-hmm. like that i was trying to think of anything else i could bring up like uh there's the drone scene you know when he's chasing after that uh but it doesn't not really a whole lot comes out of it that's important to the overall uh philosophy of the story yeah it shows how connected he is with his daughter because they're, they're both really into it with each other uh there's a nice little touch as well i like when he's leaving to go to this but he's agreed to go on the mission and he's leaving home for the final time is he he looks over and he sort of picks up like a like a blanket that's on the seat with stuff under it to check that Murph's not there because she snuck in the car when he went to like go find Mm -hmm. the coordinates before yeah and it was a really nice thing that he just had this last 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 little bit of like he's almost hoping to find her because he's because he wants to see her he wants to like make it right with her before he goes he doesn't want to leave her on on this fight that he just had with her where she wouldn't accept it and she was crying so it works both as a, a relief that she's not stuck onto the, the truck, but also he's kind of sad that she didn't because he didn't get one last chance to like say that she, uh, make sure she was okay and yeah. get her blessing. Yeah, I mean, when I said where the, the, the interviews came back into it, basically they've recreated his house on the station as like a museum, and these are basically the little like TV screens that are playing these interviews around talking mm-hmm. about 
what life was like just before the uh, the evacuation of Earth. <laughs> yep, can't forget history. Or we're doomed to repeat it on some other faraway planet. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it better this time around. I, I, and I liked it well enough the first time, because I think the, the spectacle, the journey... I, I mean, I guess the only thing we glossed over that I would love to mention, just to tie it to the visuals, is the shots of them going towards the black hole, mm-hmm. and the fact that the black yeah, hole at, amazing. at a certain point just looks like a, an orb, like a clear orb almost. Yeah. As like because I think other movies when I see a black hole, some movies will just like oh, it looks like a portal almost or something like that. Whereas this <laughs> right, was sort yeah. of like it looks like an actual hole that they're going into. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> is this scientifically remotely accurate? Is it more accurate than others? Is it accurate, more accurate, but still pretty like movified? I don't know, but no, you're right. It, it looks cool. like a it looks like a uh, like a mirrored sphere in space, yeah. but it's just uh, reflecting any kind of light that would. Uh, that would hit it and which makes sense in the when you think about a black hole uh it's it's it is very good it's probably my favorite shot in the movie actually or my favorite effect anyway and when they're flying towards saturn it almost looks like there's no stars it's just like black and it just it looks really cool and atmospheric yeah. and stuff so there's a lot of great visuals like that i love all the planets it's, you know, it's, it's proper science fiction uh through and through tara would you like to rate interstellar yes i would I I do really like this movie. I think it's um, I think it's my favorite of the sci-fi movies from Nolan. Although I did really enjoy Tenet a lot too. Um, it's it's been a while since I watched that. I watched it in theaters. Um, but um, I will rate it an eight. I think it's it's very good. Uh, I have some, you know, minor things that I just don't enjoy about um, Nolan's films in general, or just like uh his choice of cast but whatever you know it's it's still a good movie and it, it's still a, a great movie even and it's still you're so full of the half of hate it's true half of hate is real um i'm not the only one who has it it's just uh <laughs> kind of like mcconaughey i guess i don't want to repeat myself but there's just something about her <laughs> where i didn't realize at first i'm like i think i don't like anne hathaway but i can't quite figure out why and it just it just sort of grew and then i found other people who were like that and like yeah i don't know like i really like the devil wears prada and and i accept her in that movie because i like the film but something about the way she talks um she'll be fine and then she'll just deliver a line where i'm just like i don't like that i don't know (laughs) she's uh yeah 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 it's a real thing all right, so I, I I like it more this time than I did the first time, and I liked it quite a bit because of the spectacle. And I will say, watching it again, the audio visual sensation like I was like deep into the movie, like I was enraptured. Like once, especially once when it's even before that, when they're they're going through the cornfield, like Hans Zimmer, like the score in this movie just drew me in constantly, and I was just I was in the journey. It felt like I was entrenched in the film in a way that. Not a lot of movies actually grab my attention the same way that something like this does, where I'm just, I'm like, I'm in it. And I'm, like, nothing's grabbing my attention, aside from the movie. So, that that can't be understated enough. That That is quite special, in terms of film. And so many of the ideas appealed to me. It's, it, yeah, like I say, there's a few things that I would say are not perfect. Like, the interview stuff, I think, just ultimately feel like they're feel a bit tacked on. And I would say that, I like all the themes in the film. I will say that Anne Hathaway's actual speech about love is a little hammy, and 
I could like the, the the core point of like them like saying we're not going to the planet you want to because we think you're being clouded uh, by romance. I think that that point needs to be made. But I just, uh, her speech about love being this tangible thing that is like we didn't invent it's a thing. Like I don't know if you need that. Like I think the idea that us being inspired to seek out the connections and that being actually something that guides us and it's not a bad thing that it guides us is is a good idea. Uh, it didn't need that extra little part. So that, that one scene is a bit iffy, but um, I love so much of everything else in the movie and uh, it's spectacular. It just it feels like a spectacle when you're watching it. So, uh, True it is. I'm going to give it a healthy 8.5. So not actually that much higher than you just scored, but it, uh, I, I, I felt really enthusiastic and like I really... I think it's one of these things where sometimes the first impression of a movie, because it isn't exactly what you were expecting it to be, can make it feel like, oh, maybe, you know, I liked it, but I really didn't love it as much as I thought I was going to. And that sure. le- that leaves like a lingering feeling like maybe it was slightly disappointing. But I think watching it again now without that burden, it sort of sh- it's shown to me how much more of a movie this is than a lot of the other big budget movies that I actually see. And I use Marvel as the example because of the easy example, but it goes for a lot of movies these days. Um, not all of them, but a lot of them. And, you know, uh, Nolan's a, a director. He's a proper director. In the same way that uh, even Shyamalan, and I know this is a weird comparison, but one of the things me and Tim said when we watched Old recently is that, you know what, for any faults you can have with this or how like parts you might think are stupid, he still feels like a director who's directing a movie. He's trying to direct a movie. He wants it to feel like a movie. Well, he's got like, he's got a vision that you can say that's Shyamalan. Yeah. And when I'm watching yeah. this, I feel vision, I feel spectacle, I feel a movie, and I, I haven't seen old yet, but I'm waiting for the riff tracks to come out because they said it's going to come out soon. You should watch it vanilla first. Come on. No. It's a, I, I think it's a pretty fun movie. I think you should watch it without the riff tracks first. I'll consider it. All right. Well, coming up next time on the show, <laughs> uh, we've got a season ahead of us. We have a four-week season that is going to culminate at the end on Alien Day. Uh, you know, until we run out of them anyway, uh, Alien Day, we do an Alien movie from the franchise. Uh, that is obviously 426 because of the planet, LV426. So we did Alien two years ago. We did Aliens last year. So this year we're doing Alien 3. Um, and honestly, I might recommend Tara watch both cuts because they're so different that it might be interesting to compare them a little bit. Yeah, I actually but, I have the book also for Alien 3. Ooh, that I'm going to yeah. read through before we do it. So that's not next week. That's uh, that's the end of nineties Alien season. Yeah, because because uh, we the finale. We're ta- we're t- we're taking that and making it nineties Alien season, and that is going to be the the finale. But we're going to start off with something that I have never seen, uh, and that is Fire in the Sky. So look forward to that next time. I'm excited. I saw this when it came on HBO, mm-hmm. uh, for the first time, and I. It, it really stuck with me. There's a scene in it that really sticks with you. And if you're a lot of people my age um, had a fear <laughs> of aliens <laughs> after watching this movie. Mm. Yeah, I'm a little worried. It's a little overhyped because I've heard I've heard people say it's the most terrifying thing they've ever seen. And I'm a little worried. That I'm going to watch it and be like, what this? <laughs> well, I honestly like I'm worried about that, too, because I'm kind of, you know, uh, 
uh, I don't know. Like I've been so exposed to like horrible things in movies. Now. <laughs> 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 like, will it really scare me? Well, it hold up. Uh, obviously, yeah. when it came out, I was very young, and yeah, it's 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 very scary. But um, I haven't seen it since then. So like, there's there's one scene that sticks with you, but for the rest of the movie, like I don't remember very much about the rest of the film. Yeah. So I am excited to revisit it though. So, uh, Tower's going to post for the thumbnail. So here we go. <laughs> right, you're best on Hathaway. All right, three, two, one, pause. <laughs> you can tell when Tara doesn't know what to do. She'll, just, she'll do the, the smelly face thumbs up. <laughs> I didn't take the class on posing. Uh, all right, so... Yeah, you know what's coming next time? Tower's post for the thumbnail. I will now thank our Patreon producers for all the months. So thank you very much to Tyler Hess, Cindy Palacios, David Short, Born Now, Christopher Moy, David Brown, Al Traisman, and Alison M. Fordyce. They are Patreon producers. You, of course, that is one of the higher tiers over at patreon.com slash TV. But you can support us for less than that and get other things, can they, Tara? That's right, Peter. If you enjoy our reviews please check out our Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash TV. And if you donate as those $1 per month, you will get access to bonus reviews for the ace. You can find all your favorite B movies. Um, soon we'll be doing, Oh, I don't know if I should say it yet. Is it okay to say it? It's okay to say it, but the, the, honestly, the worst thing you just said is soon we'll be doing, because it may already be out by now. I don't know. It the, might already be out by now. Yeah, but the time is up. Look forward to The Brain. <laughs> We're very excited to watch The Brain because it stars David Gale, who is a fantastic actor uh, from Reanimator and was in The Giver, another bonus movie that we watched that was kind of a gem, and mm -hmm. especially him. <laughs> so yeah, uh, if you're interested in those types of films, we have a whole library over there now. And you also get Screams episodes that are of similar caliber. And... Um, if you donate five dollars per month, you will get access to these reviews a day before everyone else, and you'll be able to vote on what we watch next month in all mm. the months. So please check that out if that interests you. Thank you. Yep. There you go. That is the show. That is the Atomic Cinema Experiment. We're in the one fifties, going strong. Plenty of movies still to do. Thanks. That is us. So thank you once again for watching or listening. We always appreciate it. Keep watching science fiction and computer. And the minute TARS at Salsa.